Okay, First uh, Samuel chapter 2 this morning. Obviously, we covered the first 10 verses before worship. And yeah, just wanted to just open up with just what an awesome praise and, uh, and just powerful words from Hannah. They call it Hannah's song. Most people think that she sang that song. Um, but that's, if you guys remember, when we started First Samuel last week, uh, chapter one tells the story of this woman, Hannah. And Hannah was a godly woman uh, who was in a season of uh, sorrow and pain. Hannah wanted to conceive a child and, and was not able to do so. Uh, and, and then just to add on that, her, her husband Elkanah takes another wife and this wife's not very nice to Hannah and kind of rubs the fact that she can't have kids in her face. And she was in just a season of hopelessness, what it seemed like. And we just see Hannah just put her full trust and faith in, in God. And she, we see her, her pray to him, just, God, if, if you would just give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And we see how God answers Hannah's prayer in such an awesome way. And she conceives this boy, Samuel, and Hannah's obedient. And at the end, she does take Samuel back to uh, the tabernacle, back to Eli the priest. And then we get Hannah's prayer at the beginning of chapter two. I always kind of wondered why, why that's in the beginning of chapter two and not the end of chapter one, because that kind of seems like it'd be a, almost a better transition. You know, they're at the tabernacle. Hannah gives Samuel over to Eli and then the new chapter starts uh, with Hannah praying this prayer as as, uh, as she's in the tabernacle. And that's kind of the end of that story. But I kind of, I was just reading through it and I actually found that I really loved that it's at the beginning of chapter two because I think it kind of sets up chapter two pretty well. As we get into chapter two and we're going to see more about um Eli and Eli's sons and see uh, a compare and contrast between Samuel and Eli's sons. It kind of goes back and forth. And so I've got some points today, but bear with me because we kind of, we're jumping back and forth a little bit because we're going to see some of Eli's sons and then some of Samuel and some of Eli's sons and some of Samuel. So I've got points, but they don't kind of go in order. So uh, we're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, this was definitely a challenging one for a new pastor, but I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> so chapter two starts with that prayer. And as Hannah humbly keeps her promise to God, and I said, love that Hannah's prayer is actually in chapter two, because I think we see three things in Hannah's prayer. Obviously, it's just full of just prayer or praise and uh, worship to God in, in being so faithful but I think we can also just see three things in Hannah's prayer that we can see throughout the rest of chapter two as it unfolds. And that's that God is a God that brings victory over the enemy. We see that as it says in Hannah's prayer, he will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. And we see that God gives grace to the faithful and the undeserving. And 
And again, in Hannah's prayer, it says, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven. And then we see that God is able to turn things upside down to, to accomplish his will. And his prayer says, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among the princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. God's not scared to just flip things around when, it, when it's for his will, when it's for, to, for something to accomplish his will. And we're gonna see all three things uh, play out in, in this story today as we, uh, we jump into, uh, we're gonna be at verse 11. That's where Hannah's prayer ends. So uh, point number one, like I said, there, we kind of, we're kind of bouncing around today, but point number one, if you're a note taker, is uh, that God brings victory over the enemy. Verse 11 says, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. And so our first contrast between Samuel and Eli's sons come in the first two verses here. We see Samuel, a young child, that says he's already ministering and ser serving God. And what an awesome sight it is to see little kids uh, get excited to serve God, get excited about God in general. It reminds me of uh, yesterday. I had such an awesome experience at uh, Serve Inc. yesterday. Um, it's just such a sweet time gathering together. If you guys don't know what Serve Inc. is, we got together with a bunch of other churches in town, and, and we we made South Shore Elementary School look 10 times better than it did. It, it looks like a brand new school. Um, about two, what, 200 people? Some, right around 200 people showed up from churches all over the city. And, and we, we made South Shore Elementary look like a brand new school in four hours. So cool. Um, and if you guys, I, I think I got most of it. Oh, right here, I got some. I was in charge of painting the swing set yellow. A very important job that I had, painting the swing set yellow. And what's funny is I just, this reminds me so much of just Samuel serving in the church because I brought my kids along and, and they were excited to get involved and, and help. And, and, you know, kids love to paint and, and love to get involved. And I found myself just like painting this swing set with like six children, which is super awesome and super chaotic. There's paint flying everywhere. Just, I mean, they're, I'm so glad that we put new bark down over because there's yellow paint all over the ground. Um, what's so awesome to just see these kids get excited to serve the Lord. And I just see that uh, so much here in Samuel. Just, I can just imagine uh, Samuel who, if we go back to chapter one says, uh, Hannah says that she's going to keep him till he's weaned. Most people think uh, Samuel was around three years old when Hannah first gave him up. So just talking to like a little guy, man. Kids probably barely potty trained and just crushing it with the uh, serving the Lord. 
And I think our first reminder is that even children can serve the kingdom of God. And it's important that they learn to do so. And they're going to learn from us, right? Now, while the older sons of Eli, it says they were corrupt and they did not know the Lord. Uh, That's a problem. Because they serve the house of the Lord. You think not knowing the Lord's going to affect their ability to run God's house? Totally. And we're going to see why in a second. Um, But before we jump in, I just... I uh I just I think there's something to this uh there's something here in just these first few verses and even just looking at this boy Samuel and these the kids of Eli um you know they're kids Eli's kids are older adults um but I think if you if you're a parent out there we can look at uh we, there's there's something for us here to look at that we can just look at our kids and we can't assume that our children know the Lord just because we're dragging them to church with us. Eli's kids were pastor's kids, PKs. And it says they didn't know the Lord. And and wow, what a what a thing to just go, how do these kids not know the Lord? They can serve as a reminder to us that we need to be pouring into our kids. They're our next generation. We need to raise our kids up to be godly kids. We need to show them with our actions, the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, And we need to take it seriously. Our kids, we need to take our kids seriously and their faith seriously. And, uh, and we can't just assume that Sunday school, VBS, camp is, is going to be enough to show that to them. I can't assume as a pastor that dragging my kids here throughout the week uh, while I practice a sermon and, and that they probably spend more time in church than most kids uh, is going to make them a Christian. Is going to give them that relationship with Jesus Christ because that only comes when you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I also think we need to remember at the end of the day that it's, it's, it's also, you know, two, there's two sides of this coin. We can look at it and go, man, we can show our kids everything, how to be good godly people, the best that we know how, but at the end of the day, it's their decision to make. And so we can, all we can do is continue to steer them and point them towards Jesus. So, just a little caveat for you parents out, out there as I just go off on a tangent about uh, parenting this morning. But um, verse 13 says, And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did it in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will, 
for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would answer him and say, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young man was great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. This is our first look at Eli's son's uh, corruption and wickedness. And that may not mean a lot to you guys, but this was a time when people brought animals to sacrifice to the Lord. And it was customary at that time that a portion of the sacrifice uh, was given to God, a portion was given to the priests, and a portion was uh, kept by the one who brought the offering. But there's clear rules laid out in Leviticus on, on how priests are supposed to do this. And I, uh, spoiler alert, these guys were not following those rules. Uh, and, and right in Leviticus, the Lord's speaking to Moses and just says, tell the Israelites, the one who presents a fellowship sacrifice to the Lord is to bring an offering to the Lord from his sacrifice. His own hands will bring the food offerings to the Lord. He will bring the fat together with the breast. The breast is presented as a presentation offering before the Lord. The priest is to burn the fat on the altar, but the breast belongs to Aaron and his sons. You are to give the right thigh to the priest as contribution to your fellowship sacrifices. The son of Aaron who presents the blood of the fellowship offering and the fat will have the right thigh as a portion. <clears throat> so instead of taking what God was so gracious to give to them in the first place. They decided to just take whatever uh, their meat fork would grab from the pot. I don't see that anywhere in Leviticus where that's procedure, but this is what they were at. They would just take whatever they could grab off the meat hook. Um, and not only that, but they were trying to take the meat with the fat on it. And then when people called them out on it, they went, uh, you know, the people would call them out and go, hey, you know, remember Leviticus? It says we should really be burning that stuff off before we uh, take of it. That's for the Lord. Uh, it says that they, they, they went thug on these guys, man. They intimidated the people. They said they took it by force. I want you to look at verse 17 again. It says, therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Men despised even going to the house of the Lord to sacrifice because they thought they were going to get bullied. They didn't want to even deal with these guys. Like these guys are jerks. These guys aren't following the law. Their, their sins, and I think their biggest sin here was uh, that they were making it so people didn't even want to go make an offering to the Lord, to worship the Lord. 
I don't really look forward to going to a place where I know I'm going to get ridiculed and bullied and uh, talked down on. And, and that's what was happening in the Lord's house. You guys imagine how that grieved the Lord? Can you imagine sin that's running so rampant that it gets in the way of people wanting to come to the Lord's house. But unfortunately, that still happens today. How often does the sin of people get in the way of people being used by God for growing the kingdom? There are people looking at us, looking at church leaders, looking at the church in general that see scandals, that see people arguing with each other, all sort, whatever the sin is, man, they see it and they go, I don't want anything to do with those crazy people, those hypocrites. And so we can look at, yeah. Eli's sons and just say, man, they were really blowing it. But I just wonder the Christian church sometimes in the 21st century, how much we're blowing it. How much people are looking at us and just saying, well, that dude's one way over here and then another way over here. (laughs) Verse 22 says, now Eli was very old and he heard every, oh, and we're, we're jumping, if you didn't notice. Jump down to verse 22 with me. Said, so, man, this is, tri- this is a tricky one today. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the woman who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nonetheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. What a statement. be in a place where the Lord's desiring to kill you. You have messed up. Um, But let's just break that down. Not only did they steal from God, not only did they bully and intimidate God's people, but they were also caught up in the sin of uh, sexual immorality. And we see that. And it says that the people knew. It says Eli was getting reports about this. People were coming to Eli and say, your sons are a problem, man. What are you going to do about it? And I guess we'll give Eli kudos for rebuking his sons. But that's kind of where Eli just stops. And it says his sons didn't hear him. They were unwilling to repent from their sins. So I look at Eli here and go, Eli, don't you think it's time to maybe clean house? Don't you think it's time to maybe... Say, all right, sons, if you're not going to listen to me, I, I have to make a tough choice here and just say, I, I have to let you go. You, you can't serve here. Eli didn't do that. He stopped short. 
and again, we'll, I guess we'll give him kudos for, for calling his sons out, but um, Eli is definitely holds some blame here. But his son's just unwilling to repent, as it says. They just didn't listen. They continued in their evil ways, their wicked ways. Makes me think of Romans 2, uh, verse 5 through 9. I think this is where the sons of Eli were at and and, and what we're going to see unfold here. Uh, played out in Romans says, because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of the, of the day of the wrath. Ugh. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those, uh, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil. And so it might look like it's pretty harsh for for God to just say, I'm going to kill those guys. But the Bible tells us that the consequences and uh, the consequence of unrepentance is harsh. For the wages of sin are death. And in the case of Eli's sons, it says that the Lord's going to bring justice and judgment on them and their day's coming. And again, we can look at that and go, man, that's, that's pretty harsh, but they had their opportunity. And God's going to stick up for those that are bullied. God's going to protect his people. God's going to protect this temple and God's got to do that right now. He's dealing with a problem. And God is our protector. Just like he's dealing with Eli's sons, he deals with our problems too. If we let him, if we, if we put our trust in him, he can fight our battles. God defeats our enemies. Deuteronomy 28, seven says the Lord will cause the enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will march out against you from one direction, but flee from you in seven directions. God overcomes the enemy. We're going to get back to that. We're going to move on though to point number two, that God gives grace to the faithful and undeserving. We're going to go back to verse 18 and look at that chunk we skipped now. It's going to talk about Samuel. We looked at Eli's sons. Now we're going to look at Samuel and this uh, compare contrast where the author of this book's really trying to prove a point. That point being that God's in control and God's going to bless those who are obedient just like we saw in Hannah. This is just a pre, pre, Hannah's just a precursor to what happens in this story. We just see that God's also going to deal with the unrighteous in uh, the sons of Eli. Verse 18 says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him 
a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer a yearly sacrifice. Just little four-year-old Eli walking around in a little priest robe. So cute, just serving the Lord. Um, and Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Verse 26, I'm also just gonna add to this. It says, and the child Samuel grew in stature and in both favor with the Lord and men. And so we see this little boy, Samuel, again, just what an awesome picture it is to see this awesome little kid just on fire for God. We don't really know what his duties are, maybe. Just cleaning up around the temple, lighting lanterns. Uh, but it's, we just see he's faithfully serving. He's just ministering before the Lord. And I just we see just this mother, Hannah, uh, come back each year to pay that sacrifice like they did uh, in years past. We just see the love that Hannah still has for this child, Samuel, that she's loaned out to the Lord and she makes clothes for him. And just what a, what a cool picture to just say, I, I still love that kid. Even though I've given him to the Lord, I still love that kid. Still love Samuel. <clears throat> but we just see the faithfulness of Hannah and Samuel in this story in this scripture, God seeks out those who love him and love his commands and he blesses them and he guides them and he protects them. And that's what we're gonna see God do in Samuel and Hannah's lives. I'm bleeding into my next point a little bit, I know, but again, they kind of just go hand in hand. God knew how bad Eli's sons were. God knew Eli's sons were unrepentant. They weren't going to stop. And God knew what he was doing when he blessed Hannah to conceive a child that Hannah was going to give to, uh, Hannah was going to give that child to the Lord. And he picked up a little faithful child to raise up and replace these sons of Eli. I like that it says that men uh, found favor with Samuel. Because I think a lot of the time we can look at people and just say, they're not qualified to do that. I'm not, you can look at yourself and go, I'm not qualified to do that. What what makes me qualified to do that? I know that better than anybody. Sometimes it feels like uh, being a young guy up here who stumbles over my words and and uh, doesn't have a formal education in in the Bible. A guy who didn't grow up uh, in church for a lot of his life. And, and I'm sure that even though it says people found favor in Samuel, that Samuel 
was probably to some pretty unqualified to be the next guy, being that he was just a little kid. Uh, probably undeserving because he didn't, nobody knew anything about Elkanah and Hannah. Who are these people? They're not part of the priestly uh, line. What makes Samuel qualified to be ministering in the house of the Lord at such a young age? But I want you to remember this morning that God doesn't care about your qualifications. God doesn't care about your bloodline, your past, your education. He doesn't care about your age, your race, uh, your health status. Uh, God just calls and blesses those who are faithful and obedient to him. That's all that he cares about, that you're faithful and obedient to him and God can use you and bless you. 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26 to 28 uh, speaks on this. It says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human's perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing, what is viewed as something. God's plan's bigger than ours. God's got this in control. And God's gonna bless the faithful. God's gonna bless the obedient. And it doesn't matter if we deserve it or not. We see that he, he's doing a work through Samuel. And then we just see that he blesses Hannah with a bunch of kids. Hannah, you wanted a kid. You were obedient. Here's five. Hannah, I'm sure Hannah's like, what am I? I didn't want five. That's a lot of kids. But the Lord pours out his favor on Hannah because Hannah was obedient, because Hannah listened to God, because Hannah kept her promise, because Hannah prayed to God, trusted God's plan. So I'm not gonna take things into my own hands. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you, God. I'm gonna trust you with what you have for me. And, and Hannah gets her socks blessed off for this. The gospel is our blessing for being obedient and faithful to God. The gospel, the message of Jesus and his work on the cross, our blessing is eternal life in heaven. We don't deserve that. God just wants us to be faithful. God wants us to trust in him, put our faith in him, be obedient to his plan for our lives, what he wants us to do. And in return, we get the greatest gift of all time. Point number three is God turns things upside down to accomplish his will. 
It's our big chunk of scripture here. Verse 26. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all of the offerings of my children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now says the Lord, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all of the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house. And he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. Powerful words of God from an unnamed prophet that brings a clear message to Eli this morning uh, that the priests, uh, the priests up to this point were the bloodline of Aaron or the 600 years in the making. Uh, these were the descendants of Aaron. They'd all been from the same family. And, and right here, because of Eli's sin, because of the sins of Eli's sons, uh, God's saying, I, you're done. I'm cutting you off. God sends a clear message that says, you know, I chose your descendants. And your house now dishonors me. Eli allowed his sons to continue to corrupt the tabernacle. And God says, the day is coming where I'm done using you and your family for this priesthood. I'm going to raise up a new priest to replace you. It just makes me wonder. 
I just wonder if Eli's first reaction here was, well, you can't do that. I just wonder how argumentative he got right away with God to just say, well, this is how it is. This is the law. I deserve this. This is my place. I'm the descendant of Aaron, and, and this is for me. I just wonder if that crossed Eli's mind to just go, this is my position. You can't take this away from me. But God's not afraid to shake things up to accomplish his will. And we see that pretty clearly right here when he says, hey, I know I told you guys that forever the priesthood will be uh, under Aaron and his descendants, uh, but I'm changing that right now. I'm changing that up and I'm gonna bring justice to your sons. I'm gonna raise up this little boy, Samuel, not from the descendants of Aaron and, and just do my will. I'm not afraid to do things that accomplish my will. Isn't the Bible full of stories like that though? It's, that's, that's the whole story of the Bible. God doing amazing things. God doing incredible things uh, to glorify him, to honor him. It's awesome. We see that in our lives too. We can see the awesomeness of God in our lives. I want to just close here. Um, as, and I want to just go back, back up to Hannah's prayer for a second. These points, I pointed out that Hannah talks about them and they really apply to this story of Samuel and Eli's sons. And some of you may have picked up, they also point directly to Jesus Christ and, and who Jesus Christ is to us. Jesus brings us victory over the enemy and of, over death. He brings us that gift of grace for the undeserving. We're the undeserving sinner. God sent his only son to be the ultimate sacrifice of our sin by being crucified on a cross for us. That we have grace that we have that eternal uh, life in heaven, that gift of eternal life in heaven. If you're in the room today, if you're watching online, if you're watching this at a later time, I just, I want, I'm talking to you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that God's ready to flip your life around. God's ready to flip your life upside down and, and wants you to experience the love of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that today, God's waiting for you, for you to experience that and to just experience the goodness that comes uh, with knowing Jesus, with having a life where you're just gonna put your trust in Jesus and know that he wants what's best for you. For the rest of us, let's just remember to just put our trust in the Lord today. Let's remember that God's in control. Let's remember that our kids matter. The next generation matters. That God's in the business of 
performing miracles, turning lives upside down. God's gonna use us. God will use us. He uses the faithful and obedient for his kingdom. We're part of that plan. And so let's make sure that we're, we're living lives that aren't gonna distract people from that, that aren't gonna turn people away from that. Let's make sure we're leading people towards the direction of Jesus Christ and be ready and be ready when God just says, I'm ready to do something. I'm ready to flip something upside down. 